You're listening to In Good Will, the podcast where Marshall Bolin and Stephen Douglas have goodwill conversations from across the political aisle. This episode is part two of our conversation on economics. As a conservative, what if that wasn't an issue? What if there wasn't a danger of socialism turning into authoritarian communism? And one more part of the argument. What about the fact that we, a lot of us, you know, it's, it's a trope to say it, that uh, everybody's one paycheck away from, uh, you know, not being able to afford rent or being out broke or whatever. We're already spending too much on healthcare and our, our bills and all this stuff uh, to the point where it's more than 100% of a lot of people's income. Why not uh, spend less than that towards some, let's say it's a legitimately operating form of socialism, where um, instead of spending 100%, now I'm spending 50%, that's a lot of income, but now I'm not, I don't have to pay for anything else. To me, that would be a breath of fresh air for everybody involved, including conservatives, including people in rural areas. What's your reaction to all that? I think there's a lot of complexity. So, um, first, I, I would just say I don't consider um, Sweden, Denmark, those things to be truly socialist. So, that, I mean, their, their, uh, their form of government isn't a socialist form of government. They do have a higher social engagement, out, you know, and, and, and um, network to care for their people. Um, and they've chosen to do that, I think, again, because of the homogeneity of the, uh, the society, it's easier to do. If they were to get a massive influx of people from another nation, sort of like Germany has or France has, I think that would change the equation for them. I think it would, uh, they would have a much harder time. How does that change? I can't quite picture why that would change. So, well, let, uh, what we've gotten reports of, uh, at least that I've seen, and, and maybe there are varying viewpoints on, I'm sure there are. <laughs> there are varying viewpoints. Uh, but um, so refugees coming from war-torn nations, North Africa, uh, Mideast, uh, you know, uh, Anatolia, etc., and they're coming uh, to Europe, Greece, and France, and Germany, and uh, other nations, and um, there isn't the infrastructure to house them well and mm. to work them into society. So they have to be building solutions for them, and sometimes they're living in schools, and sometimes they're living in, in other things because we don't want to put them in refugee camps, but we don't have the infrastructure to care for them. But then they go on to social care. So um, the government is financing their health and their uh, ability to eat and possibly even uh, their ability to have an apartment. And they may or may not be working a job and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they may not even be allowed to work a job because they don't have the right paperwork and they haven't been naturalized, et cetera, et cetera. 
So, and we have the same things here. I mean, we, yeah. we you know, things at our border, um, you know, people who are coming in that we would say are coming in uh, illegally um, in order to find new opportunity. Well, and can I just ask one more question? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, how does homogeneity play into it? Because wouldn't the same problems happen if it was a bunch of people from Finland coming into Germany or? I, um, it could, if there was a major issue in Finland, say, and they, uh, the, the nation melted down and, you know, millions of people are, uh, out, out of housing and work and all of these things. Um, and they're now being forced to go into another nation. There could be very similar problems. Um, but let's say they speak the same language, they've been trained similarly in similar jobs, you can, there will be an immediate problem, but then I think very quickly it'll kind of dissolve out into the reality of the nation. Okay, you know, I see what you're saying. So, they can find jobs, they can find, you know, they speak similar language, they, they can figure it out, it's a little easier to do. Yeah. When you've got people of, of very different background, um, and let's just take race out of it for a moment, although I think that there are factors involved with that too. But, um, so you've got somebody who speaks a very different language, uh, training is different or maybe non-existent, um, and great healthcare needs because there isn't a healthcare infrastructure in the nation that they're coming from. Um, and so there's an extra burden even, you know, in that population. Yeah. Now you bring them and plunk them down into, uh, as refugees um, coming in droves into uh, a city or into a nation, and it's much harder to work them into your population and work them into the workforce. And so one of the things that was a concern was, were some of the people coming part of the terrorist, you know, ISIS network sure. and all of that? Were there people involved? And, um, and, and so then there were concerns about security and how do we vet these people and nobody's got the papers and we yeah. don't know who they are and we can't uh, communicate with the, the foreign nations, embassies or, or databases because they didn't have that or that's been destroyed by war. It, it just complexifies this, you know, makes so much complexity that it, it, it's hard to deal with for a nation. Makes and sense to me. And then I think also race does play a factor, whether we like it or not. Um, so I'm just going to bring it over to our side of the pond for a moment, to yeah. the United States. I think we've created a worker underclass or almost uh, an indentured servitude uh, with both Asians and with, with Latinos. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and so sometimes we say, well, white people wouldn't want to do the jobs. Well, it's more complex than that. So white people, you know, that, you know, let's just say naturalized citizens of the United States were doing these jobs. But as people came in and entered into those jobs, um, because of racism, uh, those, they, they get paid less. And, well, you're not a documented worker, 
um, you've got no recourse. If you don't like what I'm paying you, then I'll just report you. And I can get away with that. So how's this? Take less amount. Well, you do that enough across the board and the job itself becomes worth less. Yeah. And then pretty soon the industry is worth less. So I ran a landscaping company and worked in construction through college uh, to put myself through college. And um, it was hard to compete because um, there could be an undocumented worker over here who's willing to do that work for $7.50, whereas I needed $13 to do that same job to take care of my tuition, my, you know, all my things. Yeah. And didn't feel like that was, you know, high pay, but there are lots of workers lined up to do it for a lot less. And then pretty soon we're hiring the job for less money and we're just assuming that we're going to use undocumented workers. Right. And so then you've created really an underclass and we've done that in different industries. And so now then you, you do have the problem of saying, well, we can't find Americans to do that work. Well, that that's right. Because the way we do American life is we don't live together. We don't, you know, we don't, we don't share costs. You know, each family's kind of got to do it for themselves. So how are we going to make ends meet? Uh, how do we make life work? And then you're in that, that, quandary. So then you as a white person have to um, be educated in a certain field, make a certain amount of money um, in order to keep life working, you know, and, and that's not to say that there aren't economic hardships on people who aren't white. There really are, but it's different. And, and because I think that there's been some amount of racism in here, and I think that there, there, there's been these economic uh, factors that have gone in that have not been godly. They haven't been good. They haven't been caring to the other individual, call it what you will, but it creates these socioeconomic divides along racial lines. Yeah. I wish I understood the progressive arguments more in this department, because uh, to me, it makes sense that you only have uh, a certain amount of space and resources in your country, in your economy. And if you don't regulate the amount of people that are coming in, you'll have problems. And I think, I mean, the parts that I do understand from the progressive viewpoint are more cynical, and maybe they're right, but maybe they're not. I think they would just say uh, that this only comes down to racism and uh, we'll be fine if we let in as many refugees or people from bordering nations in. I don't know. That's just something I don't know about. And I would love to just bring both compassion and practicality to the conversation. Yeah. And I just, I mean, every single conversation that I have about economics or any like most of the problems in society, I just kind of measure it up and say, wouldn't this be improved if instead of giving money to people who already have it, we gave it to people who need it? <laughs> like what wouldn't be improved by that? Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I don't disagree with you. 
uh, as a Christian conservative, I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm open to giving some of my income away. Uh, in fact, I feel called to. And so I want to help those around me. And sometimes that looks like putting it in an offering plate so the church can do that. Sometimes that looks like giving to certain causes. Sometimes that means going and using my time, talent, and resources with my neighbors and my friends. Um, but uh, how do I give of myself and everything that goes through my hands is viewed from the viewpoint of how does this bless the world? Um, how can I just be a steward of what's been put in my hands? How do I distribute that in ways that are helpful and healthy to the rest of the world? Now, I'm saying that as a, as a believer, the thing is, all of that is voluntary on my part. Yeah. Uh, I want to live that way. Yeah. Not everybody does. I think where conservatives really get leery is the idea of, forcing people to use their money for that and for a government to decide for you on where your money should go for the greater public good. Do we trust other human beings to make that decision for us? And do we find representation to represent our interests, which is what you brought up earlier? And the answer is, uh, I think most conservatives are probably going to be the people that say, I don't trust that. I don't trust our government to do that. Um, and, and would give you a number of examples of where that's failed. Sure. Um, at the same time, I don't think that they're nasty, bad hearted people who don't want other people to be taken care of. They just uh, would say uh, it needs to be a voluntary thing. And yeah, I mean that that would be even better. I I vote for the involuntary thing because I mean it's kind of murky waters when we're talking about voting. It's like we all have somewhat of a say and then if you don't get what you voted for then yeah it's involuntary. But um since the country is so divided, I say let's start the conversation there. Let's have a voluntary system of taking care of each other. I say, why don't we do it through the internet? We could have a, a database of, here's what I need, here's what I'd like to give. And wow, it's, uh, there's no, nothing compulsory about it. I think there's a lot of merit to that. I also wonder though, my, my first thought, you know, and maybe that's because I'm a conservative <laughs> cynic, but um, my first thought is, Who's going to administrate that? What's it going to take to administrate that? And how can you make sure that that person isn't going to skim off the top? You know, like, hmm. how is that not going to be corrupted when there's all this trading going on and there's money being given or there's goods being given and, you know, and, oh, some just disappeared, like, or... um you know, oh, if, if you really want me to do this well, you're going to have to give me more. Hmm. And, and isn't that kind of how government often works? Is, I guess, oh, I'll provide this service, but it, you have to give something up to get it. What I'm picturing is um, a peer-to-peer -peer 
sort of network like Craigslist sure. or something where yeah. there's no centralized authority and uh, you go online and you say, what do people need? And maybe, maybe it's organized by lo locale. What are the people you, you first see the, the people that are closest to you? What do they need? And if you have uh, something to give and maybe it lines up with what you're good at or what you want to contribute to the world, then you can contact that person and uh, help them get what they need. Yeah. And if there could be some sort of just allowance for that, where, where the system of taxation and government would get out of our way, you know, maybe there's a tax break for people who participate in this or something. Hmm. That also that, makes sense to that's me. That's really cool. <laughs> I think so. I mean, <laughs> we have the internet, it's right here. Yeah. We yeah. have our hearts, which say, I like to give. And yeah. I think uh, it's a much larger percentage of the population than people think of, of people who want to be generous. Uh, I think a lot of what prevents us from being generous is we can't afford to be generous. I think there's something to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to force anybody to do anything. And I, I don't, I don't like government. I don't like being governed. I don't like being ruled. It actually does warm my heart in certain ways that half of the country is, you know, providing so much resistance to the idea of big government. I don't want it to be big. I just want it. I want a way of connecting gifts with needs. Hmm. Mm -hmm. To me, that's what a government could be. And, and, you know, honestly, that's what, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a pastor, I would say that's what the church is sort of meant to be. It's not meant to just be insular and internal, although we should be caring for each other as a family. We're called to, commanded to do that by Jesus. But um, some of the things that we're told in the scripture is that we're meant to bless the world. It's, it's meant to go out from us into the world around us. And when we fail to do that, we really fail to bear the image of God and the blessing and the care that he has for humanity. And so, um, you know, I know that you'll probably have some watchers here who have negative relationships with churches, but, uh, or associations with churches. And, and they would say, that's not the God that I've seen portrayed. And yet that is, I would suggest that's the God of the Bible is, you know, he tells Abraham, look, this is what your progeny is going to look like, all the stars in the heavens, and you're going to be a blessing to the nations and through your progeny. And, and really, it, it, the, the, the term is male and singular. So it, I think it's talking about Jesus is through that, that seed, that promised one, all the world will be blessed. And then you come to the New Testament, and Paul and Peter both point back to that and say, this is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. We're now called to do this. We're a nation. We, as believers, are a nation of priests, uh, a treasured possession, in order to show the glory of God by caring for everyone around us. Yeah. I mean, that's what I got out of the Bible, too. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a voluntary thing. I, I also am extremely averse to the idea of forced generosity. I mean, I think that's one of the, the greatest experiences of being a human being is when you have the opportunity to freely give 
And if we have a system that precludes that, I think you're robbing humanity of uh, the kind of what humanity is for, what we're all about. Yeah. And uh, if there's strong enough resistance, then I'm cool with that. I say, let's, let's make it voluntary. I don't need it to be voluntary. I'd be happy living in Denmark. And uh, if I paid whatever it is, 50, 80% of my taxes, but I didn't have to worry about anything else, that would be fine for me. Mm -hmm. And if that really isn't fine for the rest, for half of the country, I don't want to force anybody to do it. I, I still wish they'd be open to that idea because I think a lot of people would be fine if they were relieved of all that stress. But if not, fine, let's make it voluntary. Yeah, and it is interesting because to give the point to the other side, to, to your side, um, is if we didn't have to worry about our health care and uh, how we were going to make house payments and, you know, some of those other things in retirement, then it wouldn't be so big of an issue, would it? Our conservative argument of saying, like, I don't trust the government to distribute that uh, viably and, and equally and, and well, and really I'm responsible for taking care of myself and my family and my future, and then out of the increase to somebody else. Um, some of that kind of goes away if it's cared for. But we also recognize that governments are not always made up of good people of goodwill who care for the world around them, that there is what I'd call sin or bad will um, or megalomania or desired for, desire for takeover. And so does socialism necessarily have to be dictatorship, you know, authoritarian communism? No, it doesn't. But we've also seen how in some some places, com you know, the, the attempts of communism have fallen very flat. They, they've not done well. Um, and isn't that because it was an authoritarian approach to it? Right. So it's very hard to be a true commune uh, where you really are sharing everything. Uh, so you need some sort of centralization to ensure it happens. Well, as soon as you do that, now it's forced. And now you are no longer doing things voluntarily. You're doing things by compulsion. And That's when that happens, it, it all falls apart because you no longer have the incentive to produce anything. That's a nightmare. Yeah. I, I would uh, as strongly as possible protest such a scenario. I'm pretty sure most of my progressive friends and family would. But it is worth thinking about that. Uh, how do we move towards uh, a more equitable society and a more robust safety net while safeguarding against authoritarianism of any kind? But I would make the argument that our current money system is the very definition of authoritarian. In just a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Um... And I think that has more to do with the way we approach business and the, you know, um, the, the way that we conceive of doing business more than it is about the 
currency itself. So I don't think currency is necessarily the problem. It's just um, that love of money that, you know, uh, money is not the root of all evil. The, you know, the, that, mm-hmm. that, to quote from the Bible, it's the love of money is the root of all evil. And, and not all evil, but the idea right. is if we focus on the wrong thing and on just the getting of financial personal security or corporate security, at the expense of everything else, then we do great harm. Yeah, I just feel relieved and like a, a lightness when I hear you say that. The security part of it is, it's like we're punished if we don't hoard. Yeah. And I don't want to hoard. Neither do I. I, I want to live like uh, Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount, where the the birds don't uh, stow, stow away in barns and I'm open to, you know, a happy medium there. I, I don't mind the idea of planning for the future. But if security takes precedence over things like compassion and the, the greatest good and vitality and uh, people being paid what, what they're owed for their life giving, then that's a problem to me. Yeah, and, and that's a hard thing to, to figure out, too. That's sort of relative, isn't it? Like, um, we try to make buy on as little as we can. You know, we try to conserve. We're not big consumers. Your family, you know? you're saying? Our, our family, yeah. And, and so, um, could we benefit from more? Sure, but what would we spend it on? Um, you know, there are some some house projects, you know, and some basic things that we could do differently. But maybe that's just a one-time need. Do I need to constantly make more and more and more and just keep finding things to work on or keep find or just tuck everything away for later? I don't know that that's necessary. Yeah. Sometimes, like you said, kind of like a... a You know, it's the difference in the scenario you gave earlier about the guy with the circles of hide. Is there a one-time, hey, I'd like something back from you guys for giving you this knowledge, or is it constant forever? Yes, I think that's really relevant. Yeah. And so um, I think sometimes we, the push is for more and more and more, and we become more and more consumeristic. And I think that's uh, the, the materialism involved with that is a problem. Yeah. And that's a problem that we all face in this society, whether we're conservative or progressive, um, is the struggle of the pull of materialism and consumerism. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about that. Okay. So I, I, yeah. I believe there is such a thing as having an addiction to accumulating more goods or money. And that that is a problem and it plays out in various ways in our world to the detriment of all of us. And at the same time, I also think that the idea of us being greedy is kind of a false narrative that serves the status quo. Because if, if it's seen as asking too much to uh, take care of the things that you want to take care of in your house, then uh, we can all be a little bit 
less challenging of the status quo and say, oh, I don't really need that because, you know, all I need is um, love and compassion and kindness and all that stuff. Meanwhile, maybe we actually do need a little more of the material connection and participation in the world. And maybe we could access that more if we weren't in a situation where everybody was trying to charge as much as they can for also legitimate reasons. Life, the cost of living is always going up. And so that would be the, the, my life's dream to give what I currently offer in all the various ways for free and to not need to make money on it. But I have to pay for other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and and there's competition in there um, that's worked in, and and I am not the most competitive person in the world. Like that isn't one of the things that drives me. Yeah, my drive is how do we partner well together. Um, so I, I tend toward that anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, the competition can lead to issues. So, like for an example, I see colleges competing against each other. And by how many amenities do we give to our sure. students? You know, come come to my university because we've got all of these things, all these amenities. Look at uh, the marble in our new student union or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's beautiful and it's awe-inspiring. And there are TVs everywhere and, you know, all this and the other. And you're going to get the recognition of having our piece of paper. And yet then they're cutting staff and their and faculty in order to, to get that. And, and maybe they didn't need to cut faculty and maybe they could have offered a top-notch education and not had all the amenities, but maybe that's not as, an, as attractive to new students. Right. But then the students wouldn't be paying as much either. And so why does education cost so much? Yeah. Well, maybe you don't need everything that that school provides. Um, Maybe we can do it a different way. I'm for it. Yeah. One idea that I got from that book also, Sacred Economics, is the idea of reaching for the goal of lowering the cost of everything as opposed to reaching for paying everybody more. So I I much prefer the idea of a world where everything is cheap or free than to a world where everybody's getting a ton of money. Yeah. And I don't know how you would do that unless you did it globally. So um, it, it would require a global agreement and decrease in cost of all labor, all uh, products, all goods, all services, um, everything from the the raw mineral mineral resources or or uh, vegetable resources to the the stewardship of those things and then the digging up of those things, the carting away of those things, the, the logistics of uh, travel and, and carrying things to places than the <laughs> store that offers. I mean, every yeah. single thing then has to be reduced and it's really hard to find a way to get everybody all the way around the globe to agree to a reduction. And then if you do, are there still these inequalities 
across the board? Or are you lowering it for some and not for others to get more parity? Uh, and is that then again, unnatural uh, versus voluntarily doing that as yeah. a business? And I think as a smaller business or corporation or individual, we can say to ourselves, I don't need as much. I'm not going to, you know, I'm still going to do the good work, but maybe I don't need the raise right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I worked in a place, um, call me crazy, but I, I worked in a church and um, one of my fellow pastors was struggling financially. And so there was a review time and uh, I was offered a raise and it was a generous raise and um and i said you know i don't want it uh i i mean I, I can always use it but uh this other person needs it more if if we're struggling on where we need to put our resources give it to him because he he's had an addition to the family he's gotten married all these things he's, he's taken on a, a house you know mortgage payment yeah um he needs it and gladly they they gave him the extra increase and still gave me uh a, 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 you know a wage increase which was awesome it's very kind of them mm -hmm. but um you know there are those times where maybe it's better but that's an individual decision you know um rather than them forcing it and saying well steve we don't think you need it as much than in, instead we want to give it to him, which yeah. maybe I'd agree with, but yeah. there might still be something in my heart going like, well, who are you to say that? Sure. Yeah. Well, okay. So what I'm trying to do is brainstorm ideas that are more in line with the bottom line of kindness, equity, love. That's, that's what I think the starting place should be. I haven't thought through the logistics of, lowering the cost of everything globally. But to me, that kind of idea is the kind of idea that I'd like to hear talked about more. Yeah. And so that's, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, because I, I mean, my struggle would be either way, even if you're increasing. So, I mean, we've had that push to bring minimum wage up to $15 an hour. Mm -hmm. So let's say I make on average $21 an hour as a professional of some sort, or maybe it's $50 an hour, whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you were to break it down hourly, but I've put 11 years into education after high school. I've taken on the, the risks and I've done the hard work and I've earned the degrees and I've, you know, done all those things and put in the dues to get to where I am. And now somebody who works at McDonald's, who may not have done any of that, is now like, and when that happens, I don't begrudge them coming up. But what I worry about is now our buying power is, the, the parity of those things has changed. 
And if that happens across the board for a large cross-section of people, including young, young kids and, you know, people in high school or whatever, then the, the cost of goods and services have to rise as well. Sure. And yeah. I have not made a compensate in uh, received a compensate increase yeah. in my buying power. Yeah. So now in reality, my buying power in society is less. I get it. And so then I'm actually being harmed by them being cared for because it's been artificial sure. and across the board. And that doesn't affect me. So I'm actually the one, uh, the professional or the person who's, you know, not on minimum wage is actually the one who gets harmed in that situation. And we would say, oh, but come on, you're already making so much more. And, you know, all of those things. Well, okay. And I don't know where all those levels are. Maybe it's relative, but I know that I'm not like rolling in the dough. (laughs) Sure. And and so the idea of suddenly milk costing $4 a gallon or, um, you know, uh, going and getting a a Big Mac at McDonald's is now going to be $7 instead of $4.50. It changes the perspective of how I can care for my family and, how we're able to save or just do life. Yeah. Right. I, I feel like this is a, a model conversation between conservatives and progressives where progressives throw out ideas that are aiming for equity and conservatives say, but it, it wouldn't work because of this. And sure. I could see that. How can we, how can we get more productive there? Um, I guess my point is I'm up for any idea that anybody has that brings more love into the world and somehow addresses the uh, authoritarian nature of our current money arrangements. The the most cohesive uh, ideas I have heard are usually coming from progressive ideas. And I see the problems there. Uh, I don't know if all of our listeners think about things in terms of vertical and horizontal, but looking at things vertically means you're focusing on quality and that there, there is such a thing as better and worse. And a lot of times conservatives lean more heavily on that vertical dimension than progressives tend to. And then the horizontal dimension of looking at things is when you say, uh, well, everybody is equally important. And so uh, if you lean too heavily on that, which progressives often do, well, then you get rid of the quality dimension of life and you get that exactly that picture you were giving me of, well, what about the fact that I developed all these skills and I've worked hard and actually I am able to bring a higher quality in my work than somebody else. And if you pay me the same as them, it's like we're just ignoring that whole uh, fact of life and everybody's going to be living in a world of less quality if we never think about the vertical dimension of life. So I'd like to get a, a really nice healthy cross where we are uh, making sure that things are equitable and at the same time that there's room to be better and worse and more and less of an expert mm-hmm. in the meantime or you know, at the same time. 
Yeah, you know, and and there are there are sometimes where parts of a job might be done better by somebody who makes less or or who who isn't as maybe um as trained and the trained person might do better in in a different nexus uh, you know or use of something so in, in a sense if we've built structures but maybe some of the structures don't work right and buttonhole us like one of the things that I loved about the founding fathers of our country is that many of them were polymaths, you know, the idea that they were uh, sort of experts in their field in a batch of different areas. So there were philosophers, they were doctors, they were lawyers, they were uh, farmers, they were, you know, all of these different things and then became politicians and were, you know, largely trained people um, you know, they, they did a lot of study, but there was less to study in the world. So they could be experts at it with a smaller body of knowledge in each area. Today, everything is so specialized and you're stuck. And if you want to go, maybe your career stalls at this point and you want to go over here to, to keep going, you're actually going to have to go back to school and take different degrees or or find a way to get to that place over there to make it back here and go up. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it's crazy that we can't just say, Oh, you've got these gifts and we want to use you here, or we can use you here for this amount. But I know that place over there could use you for that, for that amount. And we'll make life work for you. Yeah. Now that becomes far more complex and confusing, obviously, but it kind of goes to what you're talking about of trading and bartering goods and services. Um, but some of those things are feel more real, like, okay, I can build you a deck. Um, <laughs> you know, that's a very real thing. And mm-hmm. it's usually worth about this amount of money given this size, you know, the yeah. square footage. Whereas if you, if, or you say, I can do your taxes, but if you say, you know, I'm a really good analytical thinker. What would yeah. you like me to think about for you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's a yeah. little harder to hang on to. So, yeah. Anyway. I thought of a question that might be interesting to end with. What, uh, what would each of us do if we had a lot of money? Hmm. Yeah. I, I got some ideas. Um, I'd golf all day. No, I'm kidding. No, uh, no, not at all. Um, I would want to be involved in creating. Like I, I would still want to be involved in discipleship in, in ministry. Yeah. But I would, I would seek a few shifts in how that's expressed. And I would love to see, I would love to be more involved in a ministry of making things Mm. of, 
whether that's hands-on things or it's art or it's poetry or it's animation stuff um, and bringing my interest in theology uh, and history and things like that alive in, in different aspects. Uh, cool. You know, I think about my wife and the artwork that, uh, you know, she does. Yeah. And uh, uh, having a space uh, where there's a conversation between the cognitive, theological or philosophical and the artistic um, and, and what might that look like in ministering to people's hearts at different stages of life. Right. That sort of thing really kind of gets my juices flowing. So I love it. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a way that you would like to contribute to the world and use your skills. And if you had more money, that would help you to do that. Have the freedom to be able to focus in ways that aren't specifically required by a single organization. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. Mm -hmm. How about you? Yeah. Uh, I would basically do what I do currently, but uh, I would know how I'd be able to keep my house. So I would continue to work with people who are afraid that there's something wrong with them because of their feelings of anxiety and depression and anger. And I would help people navigate their conflicts in their relationships. And I'd help groups install policies that uh, everybody agrees to and are restorative as opposed to authoritarian policies. And I would keep making music, the, the kind of music that I wanna make without any thought for whether it will sell, which is what I do anyway, but that's why I don't know whether I can keep my house is because I approach things that way with a ton of money. Well, I mean, you know, maybe once or twice a year, I buy a lottery ticket and I hate doing it because for however many days between when I bought the ticket and when they reveal the numbers, I'm constantly like fantasizing and planning for what I'm going to do with this thing I know isn't going to happen. But obviously, taking care of all the people in my life that are uh, having financial difficulties, you know, making sure that my parents have, uh, are taken care of in their old age. And yeah. uh, I've got so many friends who, you know, made a decision. They, they went to college and it turned out that that didn't really lead to a job. And now they have this non-dischargeable student loan debt. I would love to liberate them from that. Those totally. are the kinds of, and I would imagine that yeah. anybody listening to this thinks about that kind of stuff if they buy a lottery ticket. Yeah. But yeah, go ahead, I, please. I don't need a Ferrari. Right. Um, I, I, I want my basic needs to be cared for and to make sure my house is functional for blessing other people to bring people in to care for them. And then I want to give to other people and I want to give to causes and I want to make sure, you know, like your idea of canceling somebody else's school debt is so awesome. I'd love to be doing that for groups of people. You know, um, there was a philanthropist that um, a black philanthropist, and I don't remember his name right offhand and I feel bad about that, but he, um, he took care of the student loans of the entire graduating class of a college, of black college. I remember hearing about that too, and I can't remember who yeah. it was either. 
but that, and maybe the name isn't what he wants to be important. Right. Maybe he wants the important part to be that those kids are now liberated out from debt so that they can start a new life free. Yeah. And uh, I don't have a problem with the fact that Ferraris exist. Right. I, I have this hunch that there is enough for everybody. I have this hunch that there are enough Ferraris or potential Ferraris for all the people who actually want Ferraris. Because I don't want a Ferrari, but I do want a really nice studio. And if everybody in the world wants a really nice studio, then there's going to be some disappointment, but not everybody does. And so if somebody is born into a wealthy situation and they grew up uh, on yachts and now they're a lover of yachts and maybe they like to collect yachts, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I just want to make sure that the people who aren't born into wealthy situations get to take what they were given and grow from there. Like everybody should get the chance to grow a little bit with what they were given. Yeah, and I think part of that also is uh, in part, and kind of like what you were saying with that that um, uh, sort of program that where we could come and barter is, is often who you know, right? Uh, who you know translates to new opportunity. Mm-hmm. So the person who collects yachts, if there's somebody who doesn't know much about sailing but wants to learn and get into that world often will be more likely to get there by hanging out with the guy who collects yachts mm-hmm. than he is just trying to find and gather enough money to go buy a yacht because, oh, yeah, so-and-so just wants to unload theirs and they're doing it for a fraction of the price. Oh, so now I've got a yacht and now mm-hmm. I learn how to, how to sail. I get more involved in the community. Then I can upgrade later on. You know, all those things that help start moving you into a direction that you want to go. Yeah. But you also have to have people who are willing to accept you and say, yeah, I'll take you under my wing and I'll show you the ropes. And, and sometimes, uh, to be honest, I've found myself running into gatekeepers. Um, yes. Gatekeepers in the art community, gatekeepers in theology, in churches, in this, in that, and where they see you as competition and they sort of say, no, I'm not only am I not going to help you, I might even steer you the wrong way intentionally. Yeah. And that's what I mean about bad will. And that's yeah. what I think Jesus would call sin. Yeah. Um, because we're actually doing something harmful to another person. Right. Breaking trust. And, and I do and, see that and, as uh, a, a value in our society, as seeing that as a good way of behaving. And I think both of us would say that's a real problem. I think it's worth questioning. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks for talking, as always. Yeah. Thanks, thanks to all of you for listening. We like feedback, by the way. Um, yes. However you found out about this podcast, whether it was from an email or a Facebook page, let us know what you think. If there's topics that you want us to talk about or uh, just want to let us know you appreciate it or that there's some direction you think we'd do better to go in, we want to hear about it. And uh, you'll probably have already discovered that our desire is not to be people who are pitted against each other and, you know, uh, using uh, argument, you know, being aggressive in argumentation. We, we want to have good conversations and we want to model that. But um, 
maybe you feel like some things were said here in this conversation that you'd say, yeah, but what about this? Yeah. Um, feel free to put that in the comments too. We'd love to hear that. And maybe that will lead to further conversation down the road. So uh, we're open. Definitely. Okay. Until next time. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Marshall.